Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Yay! Oh, that's the excitement. It's in the air. So we're going to take a bit and pray and ask God's blessing on our time. And then we're going to look and see what God has to say to us tonight at Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for just the opportunity to gather. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is a teacher for us that he leads us into truth, and he leads us and instructs us in truth, and that you declared that he would be one that would be called alongside of us, not only to comfort us, but to also be with us as an advocate, and as one who takes care of us, and as one who instructs us. So God, tonight we ask that your Holy Spirit would instruct us, we ask that your Holy Spirit call along beside us, I pray God that we would be receptive to all that you have for us. I ask God for revelation tonight. I pray that you would speak and that we would have ears to hear, that you would show us stuff and that we would be able to see. And I pray, Father, that this would be a good night of growth. This would be a good night of challenge. This would be a good night, God, where we see something, we learn something, we know something, we find something that uh, we've never even thought of or we've known before. So, God, have your way. I pray that you'd speak. And I ask, Lord God, that we would be receptive, receptive to all that you have. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. You're going to go to John chapter 16. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. I believe I have a speak pipe for tonight, uh, someone that sent us a message, and so I'm looking to retrieve that right now, and let's hear what we have here. Hey, this is Laura. I have just finished listening the sermon on October 9th. I liked the praising and worship part at the end. And I was so touched, crying all the time. 
Thank you for sharing and putting on this for us so that we can hear it in Yangzhou from China. And also thank you for praying for us. Thank you very much. Laura, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you sending that. And uh, we appreciate you taking care of our friends and all that you do there. So thanks for contacting us, and thanks for those words of encouragement. We appreciate it. John chapter 16, I need a volunteer to read verse 4. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. All right. If you look at the verses before that, Jeannie, um, <clears throat> what do you see there? What is he? he enumerates some things there. What's he talking about? Right, and, and what's he saying is going to happen? I mean, is he enumerates some things there, right? He lists some things off. All right, thank you. Uh, so he's he lists off a few things, and he says, all right, well, and, and this is what he's, he's strengthening his disciples by forewarning them. All right, he's telling them something that's going to happen. What do we normally call that? When people think about, you can think of it in terms of the Bible if you want. When people in the Bible foretell something or forewarn something, what do we normally call that? Prophecy. Prophecy. So Jesus is prophesying to his disciples. And he's forewarning them about, he's giving them a prophetic word about something that's coming to happen, something that's going to happen. And the idea here is that this word that he gives them is given to them to strengthen them. But the way that it's going to strengthen them is that they must recall or call to mind this word that Jesus gives. And so I want us to just say something right off as we're starting here, that that's how prophecy works in, in many ways. Most of the time when somebody gives us a word, the prophetic word is effective in our lives as we call it to mind. That's why in the old days we used to write them down like on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. And somebody give us a word, you know, you take the time to write that out and take the time to, to put it into a notebook or somewhere where you could find it and read it. And then we got all fancy and we got cassette tapes and we record them on the tapes and, and then you could listen to that tape anytime you wanted to. And now we just send you a sound file. Uh, when you get a word of prophecy. But the idea behind it is to take the time to listen to it. Uh, there's cassette tapes that I listened to from the late 80s, early 90s, of prophecies that were given over me. And I have to borrow Jeannie's cassette player in order to do it. But I do that because it's important that we call to mind the things that God has spoken, that we call to mind the prophetic words that have been spoken over us. And, and we take the time to do that because that's what makes them 
in many ways effective in our lives. There's prophetic words that I've heard probably 20 times, 25 times. But each time I hear it, there's something that God says through it. There's something I'm reminded of. There's something that, that is taking place maybe right then as I'm listening to it. And so I want to encourage you that as you're prompted to, to really listen to the words that you've been given. As you're prompted to, to really go back and allow God to speak to you with some of the words that have come your way. Because it may be a season right now, or maybe a time right now, where you need that word of encouragement. Maybe you need to be reminded of some of the things that have been spoken over you so that you can continue to move in that direction. Because if you get stalled, you might need something to remind you. If you get stuck somewhere, maybe you need a word to encourage you forward and to get yourself out of that place of being stuck. So it's important that we take hold of what God says into our lives. Now, Jesus here, he's prophesying to his disciples. He's forewarning them. But his words would have to be called to mind. When? Well, when all this stuff happens. So in other words, the disciples are going to face some hardships. They're going to face some challenges. They're going to face some things going on in their lives. They're just, this is a part of, of what's going to happen. And so Jesus is telling them, this is what is going to happen. But they need to remember that he said that. They need to call it to mind. And you think about times when things get tough. You know, everything gets thrown out the window when things get tough. Well, you can't do that. And I know I'm telling you something you already know, but you really can't do that when it comes to God's word. You can't do that with the, when it comes to the prophetic word because that's the time you need that prophetic word. That's the time you need to hear what God is saying. That's the time you need to listen to what God has already said so that you can apply that and let that infuse with your faith as you go through whatever it is you're going through. And so to throw something out the window or just toss stuff because, wow, you're just overwhelmed. I get that. I get being overwhelmed, but we can't just toss everything out the window when we're overwhelmed because God's maybe probably already spoken into that situation in your life. You just got to realize it and you just got to call it to mind that he has spoken into your life. He's already spoken into that situation. He's already spoken in that circumstance. He's already given you the word that you need for that time. And you have to recall that. You have to call that to mind. Whether it's reading something that you've written or it's listening to something that's been recorded or whatever it is that's taking place, you have to call that to mind. That's on you. Now, does the Holy Spirit help us? Sure. And he may prompt you in a certain way. Well, listen to him. Does the Holy Spirit remind you of some things? Sure he does. But you need to listen to him. He's not to be ignored. He's not to just be discounted, but he's to be listened to. And it's in those moments as we listen, in those moments as we take action on what it is we're hearing, that that's where the comfort is. That's where the strength is. That, that's where the, the, this, the whole reason for being, for that word to be given to you in the first place, why it exists. It's to strengthen you in that moment. But we need to recall it in that moment. Now, when opposition comes, it's important to remember 
the word that God gave you. Like for them, opposition was coming, and they needed to remember Jesus' words. And they need to find the support. There's two reasons you need to remember his word. Number one, you need to find it in support of your faith. Like you're believing for something, right? You believe for something better. You're believing that you're in part of God's plan or you're in part of what God is doing. All right, well, believe that. But that word that was given, however long ago it was, that spoke to that situation, well, that supports that faith to continue on. That's why we need it. Because our faith sometimes wavers in circumstances that are in opposition to us. Well, that's why God has spoken to it already in the past. That's why God has forewarned us in the past. So that when we face it, we can remember he already knew about it. In fact, he already told us about it. And in fact, we can trust in the fact that we have a faith in a God who is with us. And you see, that's the second part of it. It is support of our faith, but it's also evidence that Jesus is with us. And because he already knew, he already said, and here he is even now. So the God who knew before, who spoke it into our life, is the God who's with us no matter what we're facing. And allow that to bring comfort into your life. Allow that to bring stability into your mind and stability into your thinking. Allow that to, to bring some faith and allow some faith to rise up in your heart to believe for more, for better, for whatever it is, for deliverance, for provision, whatever it is that you're going to need, allowing that faith to just rise up in your heart. The God who knew, the God who knows, the God who is with you is the God who can do all of those things. And let that begin to rise up in you. Because he doesn't desire us to live in terror. I've talked about this before. God does not desire you to live in terror or in fear, to be surprised. Okay, hardships come. And they just do, and then they go. And then hardships come, and then they go. And it's a part of the cycle of living. It's a part of the cycle of growth. It's a part of the cycle of what it is to be human. And so there's no surprise in that. And so God doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to live in fear of what might happen. He doesn't want us to live in terror or, or, or to be afraid of something that may or may not or something that we're making up or something that we're, we're blowing out of proportion. He doesn't want to live like that. That's not what he's called us to. That's not, that's not who he wants us to be. Always afraid, oh, this might happen. Yeah. Or afraid, well, uh, you know, this, this could be the result of, the, okay, whatever. I understand. Those are all thinking processes. I understand that normal people think that way, but God doesn't desire us to live that way. We do not have to live in worst-case scenarios. We do not have to live in terror of the unknown. We do not have to live in terror of the future. We do not have to live in terror of what's coming our way. But God would have us to live in peace, live us to live in rest, and just not be surprised. Our relationship with God 
is a progressive revelation. And you may not think of it this way, but Jesus describes that here. He describes what a progressive revelation is. If you read what he said there, he's like, yeah, I've not told you these things in the past because I was with you. Well, he knew them in the past. He just didn't give it to them. In other words, he, he would give pieces of it or he would give whatever it would be that they needed to know at the time. And then as time moved and as he was getting closer to his death and he was getting closer to his sacrifice and he was getting closer to the time when the church would have to rise up. Okay, in other words, you got the, the, the ministry of Jesus. He's doing his ministry, right? But that ministry was coming to an end. And so there was his disciples that were going to rise up and that there was going to be their ministry. I mean, it's still the ministry of Jesus, but Jesus is going to be, you know, directing things from a whole different perspective at that point. And the Holy Spirit was going to be empowering people at that point. And they were going to be directed and they were going to be led and there was going to be all this, that there was going to be a change that was going to take place. That we were going to be his body. That we were going to go about the ministry of the gospel. That we were going to be out there healing people. We are going to be out there delivering people. We are going to be out there doing the work of miracles, signs, and wonders. We were going to be the ones preaching the word. We were going to be the ones teaching people. We were going to be the ones raising up other disciples and apostles. There'd be a change that was about to take place. And so as he was nearing that change and that point of change, he began to tell them more and more and more. But it was progressively more. And so don't get frustrated when you don't know everything. Who does? And it's by God's design you don't know everything. It's by God's design. You don't see everything right now. By God's design, you don't, you don't have a hold on everything right now. That's all right. There's things you don't need to know. There's things I don't need to know. There's things that are, are so far out there that it isn't good for us to know. But as the time comes, what time? His time. I don't know. When does that happen? I don't know. It's whenever he says. So in his time, in that moment, revelation comes. Understanding comes. Direction comes. Our eyes are opened in a new way. Whatever happens, whatever's going to happen, is going to happen in that time. And it's, it's that idea of that progressive revelation. Not at once, not at the start, but more later, which is all right, because he gradually teaches us. I want you to think about Paul the Apostle for a second. And this verse is an interesting verse because this verse, and you look at John 16, 4 and those before, they describe Paul the Apostle. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, if you go to Acts chapter 8, as a descriptor of Saul, who's Paul, before his conversion, before Jesus meets him. And as he's being described in Acts chapter 8, it talks about him how he is consenting to Stephen's death. He's scattering the church. He's ravaging the church. He's going house to house, dragging people away. He's putting people in prison. All right. 
Right? That, that's not my descriptor. That's what Acts chapter 8 says about it. So look here in, in John 16. Look at verse 3. What's being, what's being described there. Look at the, the actions that are being described there. Like Stephen is stoned to death for his faith in the book of Acts, right? People are being put into prison. People are being dragged away, being scattered, ravaged. I mean, going house to house, being put in prison. I mean, that's what's happening in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Who's behind that? Well, one of the guys behind that is Apostle, is Paul, is Saul. And what does that verse in John 16, what, what does that say about the person who does that? They don't know God. Right. Who don't they know? They don't know, don't know the Father and they don't know Jesus. Specifically. Specifically, it describes him. Jesus describes him. They don't know the Father and they don't know Jesus. And I've said this many times and I want you to understand me. Paul is a, Saul, before his conversion, he was a shining example of everything, everything that religion promises and offers. He is the shining example. He was educated from the time he was a small child at the feet of one of the most renowned teachers of the Jewish religion, Gamaliel. That he was given over to that by his parents. He was raised in that. He knew the scriptures. He knew what they said. He knew them forwards, backwards. I'm sure he had so much knowledge of the scriptures. Not only the scriptures, but the writings of the rabbis and those that have come before. The wisdom of the rabbis that have come before. He had all that knowledge. He had all the knowledge of the scriptures. He had all the knowledge of the rabbis. He had been brought up in the synagogue, brought up in the temple. That was the environment that he knew. That was the life he knew. And if you look at him, he was the shining example of everything their religion could possibly offer a child, a young man, and a grown man. He was the example, the poster child of a religious upbringing. And yet, Jesus described him, not by his opinion, but by his actions. Jesus described him as not knowing the Father and not knowing Jesus. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, allow it to sink in. Because the best that religion can offer the best, the absolute best that that religious education and all that knowledge and all that understanding and all that reading and all that studying and everything that Paul went through and everything that he exemplified as the strictest of the strict of all the sects of the religious, of the Jewish religions, that's who he was. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The best that that can offer he still doesn't know the Father, and he still doesn't know Jesus. If you still have any religious bones in you, let him die. Just let him die. Because that is not 
is not the way to the Father, and it is not the way to Jesus, and you need to let that die in you. Because if it's doing anything in you, it's hindering you from really coming into a relationship, a true relationship with the Father, and a true relationship with Jesus. I opened this 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 up, and I looked at my notes, and I could not figure out why I wrote that. Because I wrote some notes on this, and I was like, why in the world do I have in my notes the Apostle Paul? That's why. Because that was the word I got when I was reading this. And it looks like it's not even related, but it's totally related. It's completely related. And it would be Paul that would then begin to dismantle that religion in every place that he went. Now, you look at his letters to the Colossians and the Galatians and how he just dismantles that stuff because he understood that he was the best of the best of that. And they couldn't even compare to him. Couldn't even compare on the basis of what they thought was holy or the basis of what they thought was religious or close to God or whatever it was. They couldn't even compare to that guy. But he didn't know the Father and he didn't know Jesus. So why would he allow them to continue in that? I mean, this is the guy called to the Gentiles. That's who he was. And and it's important to understand that he had to radically, radically change the way he saw things. And the things that he had been brought up with had to be dismantled. The things that he had been brought up with had to be torn down, had to be burned or whatever needed to happen with it because he was going to move forward. He was going to move forward into what the, the, what the Father and what Jesus had for him. That's the only way. It's the only way. And I know I'm, I'm making really strong statements, but I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I can be really gentle about it, but that doesn't work. It hasn't worked. What works is a moment of confrontation in our lives where we decide, wow, this is not right. This is not the way. And really come to that kind of a conclusion, this is not the way, and let it go. Just let it go. It hasn't served you well yet. And it's not going to serve you well ever. It just doesn't. It, there's nothing about it that's going to serve you well. It didn't lead you to the Father. And it didn't lead you to the Son. In fact, it's been hindering you since the very start. And you may have come to the Father. And you may have come to the Son despite it. But why allow it to continue to hinder you? Why? It is no, of no use or value in the kingdom of God. None. And if Jesus is saying anything here, I, this is what I see him saying. And, and I can talk to you more about all the other stuff that he's saying, but really, more than anything else that he's saying, this really struck me as the heart of what he was trying to say. At least what he's trying to say to us. So how do you do it? 
How do you dismantle anything in your life? How do you deconstruct anything, anything in your life? Yeah. Bible talks about that you take captive every thought. You, I don't know if you know this. It's in, the, in the whole passage about spiritual warfare, part of spiritual warfare is taking, taking captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. I would say that's every religious thought in your head. Okay? Every religious thought in your head is exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ. And you got to take captive. What does that mean? When you think it, lasso it, throw it out. Stop. You got to stop in the moment. You got to stop. At that second, you got to stop that thought while it's still there and get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. What do I mean by religious thoughts? You know what I mean. Judgments. You know what I mean. Formalities. You know exactly what I mean. Things that pop into your head. Well, anytime you think to yourself, and they call themselves a Christian. You know what? <laughs> you need You need to burn that one. You need to destroy that and burn it. Just get rid of it. Because that ain't helping anybody. It does exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ, though. That it does. It does hinder you from the Father, and it does hinder you from Jesus. That it does. But it ain't helping you, it ain't helping the person beside you, and it ain't building the kingdom. So you got to get rid of that. And there's many, many other thoughts, many, many other ways that these things pop into your head, that these things come about, and you got to get rid of them. This one at a time. The other side of this is ask for help. Maybe Jesus will step in a little bit and help you out, right? You need to dismantle, uh, tear down some strongholds in your life. You know, strongholds are those little places, little castles you have in your mind where thoughts live. And, you know, but, but Jesus is good to the demolishing, all right? To demolishing of strongholds. And just ask him. Ask him. Ask Jesus to help you. Ask Jesus to step into your life. Ask Jesus for some demolition work to be done of these strongholds and these little castles that you have built where all these ideas live. Just, just tear them down. Have him tear them down. Ask him to. Yeah, just ask him to. See what he might do for you. So, Jesus is with us. He's with us. His ministry on the earth, as I said before, has been handed to us. And so, that moment, that's the beginning of us. That's the beginning of the church. That's the beginning of the body of Christ through us. And we can't really take that for granted. 
we can't really take for granted that Jesus is with us and he's working through us. We can't take for granted that we've been entrusted with this ministry. We can't take for granted we've been entrusted with the Word of God. We can't take for granted that we've been entrusted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I look at John sixteen seven. It's just a few verses down from what we're reading. We're in verse 4. Go down to 7. All right. All right. So part of what Jesus is telling them and part of the revelation isn't just he's not just giving them information about how hard things are going to be. Right. That's not part of the revelation that you see here. Part of what he's speaking into their lives and a big part of what he's speaking in their lives isn't just doom and gloom, isn't just a forewarning. Because that's part of it. He's prophesying that these things are going to take place. But he's also speaking here and prophesying about the Holy Spirit. And he's prophesying here that the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be the Holy Spirit that we can count on. You go all the way back to when he was baptized by John, his cousin John. And just John prophesied about the Holy Spirit. Where John said of Jesus, they they're asking about Jesus. This is earlier in the in the Gospel of John, but but John the Baptist prophesied about Jesus, and they said, well, uh, you know, talking about how Jesus and and John saying Jesus is greater and all that, and John giving an example of that, he prophesied. He said, because I baptize in water, but the one that comes after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so there was a prophecy that was given there. And you see through this ministry and you see through the the beginning parts of all that Jesus was going to do during these three, three and a half years, there were words that were given that were speaking toward another time. They were speaking toward another age. They were speaking toward a time when the church would rise up. They were speaking toward a time when the church would be empowered. They were speaking toward a time when the ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus would be done in the flesh, but that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the church and the church would be empowered to do the stuff. Well, if the Holy Spirit empowers the church to do the stuff, what do I mean by the stuff? I mean stuff Jesus did. So if the Holy Spirit is empowering the church to do the stuff, then the church needs to get out and do what? The stuff, right. And if the church isn't doing the stuff, either something's wrong, there's a hindrance there, or, or, and, or, or, we're just not moving in it. In other words, we're not, we're not living in an expectation, we're not living in a faith that God uses us that way. The stuff is what we're called to do. And so in order to justify not doing the stuff, that's where religion comes in. You make everything religious. You make everything a ceremony. You make everything a, a, a procedure. You make everything a set of rules. You make everything a set of, of things or emotions that you go through. You have steps to do everything. Everything is just done in this or whatever. And it's not that I'm against order or anything else. But the problem with that is, is that then that becomes the new stuff, which wasn't Jesus's stuff. 
So we can't allow that. We got to get rid of that. Get it out of the way so that we have a clear path to say, you know what? I need to be prophesying. I need to be healing the sick. I need to be raising the dead. I need to be doing the miracles. I need to be going about the stuff because I've been empowered to do that. And there was a definite changeover when the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. His thing was done here. His physical thing was done here. And so our thing began. And if anybody who's ever known anything about church history heard me talking like this, they'd be offended. But I want you to listen to me. Our thing began. And we were empowered to do that. We are still empowered to do that. Every single one of us are empowered to do that. You know, why, why do we keep telling people about baptism in the Holy Spirit? Because they need to do the stuff. That's how you do the stuff. Because that's what we're called to. And anything less than that, we're missing the mark on what God has for us as the church. We're just missing it. And so what he is saying here, he's laying it out. He's saying, all right, here's more revelation for you. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's more revelation for you. He's the one that's going to be standing up with you. He's the one that's going to bring you comfort. He's the one that's going to empower you. He's the one that you're going to be able to go about the work that you've been called to do despite opposition, despite persecution, despite all the things that are going to come against you. You are going to continue the work which he had begun. And he's going to empower us to do that. But we got to get about it. Because looking at it and saying, oh, well, that's possible. That's not about the work. Just because it's possible doesn't mean you're doing it. Well, that would be nice. Now, that ain't the work either. That's just stupid talk. Right? So we're called into this to get the work done. And so at the way we do the work, and, and that's part of what we're constantly doing here. We're constantly trying to, to bring that about. We're constantly trying to cultivate that in one another. We're given opportunities. Like, what do you think share time is? All right, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, what's going on during worship? Opportunities. What do you think the share time at kinship's for? Opportunities. The whole kinship setup, what's that for? Opportunities to do the stuff. What's evangelism for? Do the stuff. What are mission trips for? You get to do the stuff. That's what we're doing. We're cultivating that. So that it comes out of us in our everyday lives. It comes out of us in the places that we go. That the supernatural becomes a natural part of our lives. Like it was a natural part of Jesus' life. But that's who he's called us to be. But without any expectation, without any faith, without hearing the prophetic word, without calling to mind the prophetic word, without allowing the prophetic word to take place in our lives, without doing those kind of things... We're not really seeing the stuff. So we need to allow that. We need to recall that. We need to bring to mind what Jesus has said. You know, how many times I've reminded myself, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, you've seen the, scene, the things that I've done. You'll do what? Even greater. Yeah. How many times have I told myself that? Hundreds? Thousands? I don't know. I don't know. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power 
and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. God's with me. God's with me. How many times I told myself that? Hundreds, if not thousands of times. And these signs shall follow those that believe. End of Mark. How many times have I read through the end of Mark and read those signs? And that's me. That's me. I believe. I believe. You got to recall the prophetic word that has been given over you. That's how we're going to get about it. That's how we overcome the opposition. That's how we stand in the face of persecution. That's how we know what to say when the day comes. And that's how we go about the signs and the wonders and the miracles that God desires and expects to do through us. That's how it's going to happen. And those are the ways that it's going to take place. And so I just believe that Jesus wants to strengthen us. He just wants to strengthen us. But he's going to strengthen us by his prophetic word. And let's let that happen. I want you to begin to remind yourself. And really, just sit here for a moment and think of some of the words that have been given over you. Just think of maybe one or try to recall one. Of prophetic words that have been given over you. And, and call to mind what God said. And see how that might apply to something that you're going through right now. Because I kind of did a tricky thing right there. I said, just to remember a prophetic word. But you know what I'm d- depending on is the Holy Spirit's going to bring one to mind that you need right now. I wasn't really trying to trick you. I just, <laughs> You know, I didn't want you worried about it. Because as soon as I said the Holy Spirit, bring it to mind. Oh, I don't know if I can hear God. Uh. No, no, no. Just relax. But that's what happens. That the Holy Spirit brings something to mind that we need to know. We need to hear. We need to experience right here and right now. Yeah. Do you have a shred? A shred of religion left. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's hindering you. It's hindering this process in you. Get rid of it. What I mean by religion, I ain't talking about any specific thing. It's something that is in you. Some of the most religious people that I've met never go to church. And they have some cockamamie, weird th- idea about God that they keep teaching their kids. Very religiously, but just completely wrong. It has nothing to do with a church. It has nothing to do with a particular faith. Just some crazy idea somebody had. And they just keep perpetuating it through the generations. It's time to stop that. It's time to stop it in our minds. It's time to stop it in our heart, our spirit, and stop it in our families. If you did come out of a religion of some kind, it's time to stop it now. It's just time. Stop it in you. Stop it in your mind. 
You know, I tell you, sometimes it, taking captive every thought, sometimes I will do things to just be contrary to that thought. <laughs> like I was brought up that there's a certain way you're supposed to dress when you're in front of people in church. Okay? And so sometimes I will do something contrary to that religious thought as I take it captive. What do I mean by that? None of your business, but I'm just telling you, that's what happens. <laughs> and, and it helps. Sometimes it helps. So I encourage you toward that. We're going to take a few moments and respond, and I want to encourage you to just allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in you tonight. And like I said, you, you may think of one thing, one word, one thing that God has spoken over you. Like as I was saying that, um, there was a word that was spoken over me in June. And in this word, it says, I will make you pillars in the house of God. That was a word that was given me many, many, many years ago. And I remember it, and it's something that I believe I need to hear right now. Of all the words that were ever given over me, that was the one I remembered right when I was saying that. And so I want you to think, and just, like I said, if you recalled something good, but I just want you to pray into that for a moment right now, whatever that word was, whatever that thing was that God spoke to you, that you're recalling that prophetic word, you're recalling that thing that's been spoken over you, and just, uh, just pray into that, just for a second. Like, for example, I pray into being a pillar in the house of God. Yeah. And I think of strength. And I think of stability. And I think of all these different things. I just pray into that. So you pray into that word. Whatever your word is. Just take a moment to do that. Thank you Lord. David, we just pray, and I, I just saw what looked like a just a powerhouse in your in your mind, uh, like a powerhouse of God, and it was just bright light. And it, I was just reminded that I just really believe God is bringing and has brought understanding into your mind, things that He wants to say, things that He wants to give to other people, things that He has for other people. And God will just remind you not to neglect that. Not to neglect that which he has done in you and that which he is doing in you. And allow that to begin to pour forth from you in Jesus' name. In whatever form, in whatever form it would pour forth, the spoken word, the written word, however that would pour forth, allow it to pour forth in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Father, tonight I just pray you'd set your people free. We want to be free. Free from the bonds and free of the the forms of religion uh, that some of us were just brought up in. We want to just be free. Yeah. Free to experience you. Free to know you. Free to, to know the Father. Free to know Jesus. Free to be used in this kingdom. So I pray against hindrances, stumbling blocks, walls, fences that have been built through this religion. I pray that they will be cast down and destroyed. I pray imaginations to be cast down and destroyed. Yeah. I pray for strongholds to be cast down and destroyed. I pray for thoughts to be taken captive and to no longer have effect, to no longer have influence over us. Thanks, God. I pray you set us free. God, I thank you that you speak. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your encouragement. I thank you for your forewarning. I thank you for your prophetic word. I thank you, God, that you speak in order that we might have faith. I thank you that you speak that we might know that you're with us. I thank you that you speak that we might be encouraged to overcome. And so, God, I pray you raise up overcomers right here in this room. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks. I pray, God, that we would be encouraged by your word. We honor you. We thank you for your love, your concern, your care over us. Thank you for using us. I pray, God, that we'd be empowered. And I pray for a display of your power in and through our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Just agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. And they all say there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.